0: Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that that's the promise we have when we are in Jesus, that we are free and that we can know you and we can be in relationship with you. And uh, we're welcomed into the Father's house and we're welcomed into this house, God. And so I pray for every one of us today that we grow in our understanding of you and the love you have for us and then how you want us to be able to internalize that love and express that love to others that they would be able to see you in the way we live, God. And I just pray today that you would inspire us, that we would choose today to say we want to be peacemakers in our world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. Thanks so much for being here today and making it through the storm last night, right? It was so fun to be able to participate in that. You know, as we were singing that song, I was thinking about uh, that. Some of us may not understand, or some of us may not even um, comprehend what it means to be a child of God and uh, what it means to be his beloved. And I just wanted to encourage you that I picked a couple of books for my uh, pastor's picks in this series. Both of them are called Beloved. And uh, both of them deal with this idea of coming to the understanding that God loves me and that he calls me his child. And that he wants me to embrace him in the life of being his beloved. So you might want to check those out. There's another one there on shame. And one of the things that keeps us from being able to be to embrace God's love fully for us is the shame that we carry. And that, uh, shame is not just an emotion. Shame is a force in our world. Uh, and it's, uh, shame's purpose is to destroy us, actually, and to keep us from uh, relationship with each other. And relationship with God. You might check that out. And then the other book that I'm just digging this summer for me is digging through this book, uh, The Gift of Being Yourself. So you might want to pick that up too and look at it. All those deal with the subject that we're in on being able to be known, coming out of hiding, and letting God know us, and then letting us, that we can know God and we can know each other. So it might be some encouragement there. So just good morning again and welcome. So glad that you're here. All of you, including those of you who are watching uh, from Eschaton or from the jail, we're just so glad that you're with us today. And the series as we just said is called To Be Known and To Be Loved, and we're talking about how you and I, how we can build a loving community, how we can build a community where we would want to uh, come and we would feel safe That we could reveal some of the things inside of us, so that they could be released, and then we could be healed in some way. And we've talked about this idea is that uh, we're in what sociologists and psychologists say is an epidemic of loneliness, and so the way we combat that is that we look to what God says about us, and then how God invites us into relationship. And that's what we're looking at in this series, and we're talking about those things. So I'm going to invite you to grab these message notes. They're going to be really helpful today as we go through our time together. All the Bible verses I'll use will be here. Have your Bible open to James chapter 3. Just love to see you be there with me today in James chapter 3. And if you don't own a Bible, I want to give you a Bible. So if you'd stop at the bookshelves right out there on your way out today, there are Bibles on that rack. You can take that. Love to see you have a Bible in your home as well. And right at the top of the uh, notes there is our theme verse for the series. And it says this in Romans 12, Paul's writing says, we, that's the church, are many parts so that we come together, that we are all significant and that we are a part of the work that God is doing. We're a part of the house that God is forming. So every one of us is a part and we all belong to each other. And so, you know, it's really important for us to realize that when you come in here and you're part of a church, you're part of a, part of a community and of a family, is that you belong here. And so you belong and everyone belongs and we have to treat each other as if we all belong, that we're all here together. So we're looking at a series of statements, some made by Jesus, some made by other authors in the New Testament, uh, where they were talking about how those who are followers of Jesus would relate to one another it's really important that we understand this if we're going to be able to be the kind of witness to our world that we want to be because remember our bottom line for this series is this is that when love is shown god is seen and people are changed So we're all about that. We're all about saying, you know what, we want to be able to show the love that God has given us. And when we do that, he's seen. And then as he's seen, then other people can come to know him and then their lives can be changed as well. And these commands, as Dave said a while ago, as we have talked about this, they're one another's. And so what we're doing in this series, we're talking about how to one another, one another. That's exactly what it is. And so there's 59 of them. There's not 59 separate ones, but there's different ones along the way. And we're looking at several of them in this series this summer. And today is how to be at peace with one another or how to be a peacemaker. John read this verse to us a while ago. This is the one that we're looking at today, First Thessalonians five thirteen: Live in peace with each other. Now, when I say that, I say when live at peace with each other. I, it's difficult to find peace at any level, isn't it? It's difficult to find peace anywhere that you look. Would you agree with me that we need more peace between each other? Would you agree that we need more peace between each other? In one Peanuts cartoon, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole world. Charlie says to her, but Lucy, I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy said, I do have inner peace, but I have outer obnoxiousness. LAUGHTER See, there's a discrepancy. We want inner peace, but we run into this thing about relating to other people, and it's really difficult, and it's really complicated. We all know that we have conflict in relationships. We have disagreements in the way that we look at life, or we look at situations, and it's very difficult to maintain a sense of peace. What we're going to see today, folks, we're going to look at, God says, here's a way you can live. And when you live in this way, then you will be the kind of person that knows peace, but more than that, you're going to be the kind of person that brings peace into your world, into your environment, that other people will be able to see it. Now, when you, when you look at the Bible and you study the word peace, it's used in three primary ways. Three primary ways in the New Testament. First, it's used to describe the kind of relationship that I have with God. So uh, every one of us at some point, we were an enemy of God. So that's not peace, right? Enemy, not peace. God sent Jesus Christ, and then when we say yes to Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us on the cross, God takes away the the word enmity, the division between us and him, and then we can have peace with God. That's the first way it's used. The second way it's used is that now that I have peace with God, God places himself inside of me, and I can rely on him as I go through life, and now I know the peace of God. I do have that kind of inner peace because it's the peace of God. As we sang just a moment ago, nothing can separate me from his love. He is for me. He is, nothing is against me. He is the one who is after me, chasing after me so that I can know his love. And so we have the peace of God. And in the last way it's used, and this might surprise you, the Bible is very practical. But the majority of the uses of the word peace in the New Testament have to do with peace with each other. How we can form peace with each other? How we can work it out? And In this area of peace, that's what Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen. He says, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." So he's saying, first, if it is possible. So just so you know, that what he's saying there is that you're not going to be able to resolve conflict with every single person that you might have conflict with. There are just going to be times. Where it's going to be unresolvable for some reason. So, if, it's, if it is possible, though, we are to, get, as far as it depends on us, we are to do our part, so that we could be looking. We can look back and say, you know, I have done everything that I know that God has asked me to do, and there's still enmity between me and this other person. We still haven't resolved this conflict. I'm going to keep doing everything that God's called me to do. But there's a possibility that we may not actually be able to resolve this. That's what Paul is saying there. But as far as it depends on me. I'm gonna do it. And so, what I'm doing is, we're saying this we're gonna love everyone always. We're gonna love everyone always, even if we disagree with their theology, we disagree with their politics, we disagree with their words, we disagree with their actions, we disagree with their choices, we disagree with their values. We're gonna love them. Always, And so the calling God has given his children, those who are in faith, those who have said yes to Jesus Christ and accepted his forgiveness and cleansing and healing and renewal and restoration is this. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So Jesus says that those who know him, that one of our chief identifying markers would be that we are peacemakers. We bring peace into our world in some way. So, I just know, How many of you want to be a better peacemaker? You say, I want to be someone who does bring peace into my life. How many of you believe that our world needs more peacemakers? That would be the majority of us would say that. Well, today we're going to see what God has to say uh, as he's called us to be people who make peace. In other words, by our lifestyles, we are called to be people who Lower the thermostat, not raise the temperature, okay? Lower the thermostat, not raise the temperature. We are the people who calm the tension, not create the anxiety and tension around us. So calm it and bring it down. So what I want to do is I'm going to talk about how we can be peacemakers. How can we actually do this? Because it's complicated. It's difficult. So you have to ask this question. If I won't be a peacemaker, Who will? If I won't be a peacemaker, who will? And the responsibility is on every one of us that we would be peacemakers in this world. So we're going to look at James. James is the brother of Jesus, and that uh, after Jesus ascended to heaven, that James realized that Jesus was the Son of God after he was resurrected, and so he became one of the leading followers and then one of the leading leaders of the church of his day. And he wrote this letter that is called James after him, and it's very practical, and so we're going to look at what he has to say today about how we can become peacemakers. So the first thing you want to write on your notes is this. As we learn how to become peacemakers, we must examine our actions and attitudes. So I take some self-examination. Examine my actions and the attitudes behind them. So the actions I have and the attitudes behind them. And so he says this. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? So he's saying, he's asking this question. He's saying, I want to be thinking about this. And he's going to give some uh, ways to look at wisdom and how they can be opposite of each other. And he says, who of you are wise? And he's going to describe what a wise person is. He says, who is wise and understanding? He says, let them show it. Underline that, show it by their good life. So what he's saying here is that if I have jesus in my life then i'm going to show it if i'm going to have peace in my soul the peace of god then i'm going to show it i'm going to live it out people will be able to see that by their good life by deeds done in the humility underline that word humility because that's the attitude so it's actions show it from humility actions from humility that comes from wisdom now i'm going to pause there a minute let's just go ahead and leave this on the screen i'm just going to pause there a minute because i want to talk about this do you want to know if you're a peacemaker? Do you want to really know? You, want to know? you might be sitting there today and you're thinking, you know, I think I'm pretty good at bringing peace into my environment. Do you want to know if you're a peacemaker? Well, what you have to do first is you have to take a look at your actions. And you look at your actions, and then what you want to do is you want to look at the reactions of others. Because you may think that your actions are totally upright. Your actions are the best, and usually we're going to get this in a minute, they're the best for you. And so you may look at your actions and you think these are the right ways to act, but if you look at the reactions of the people around you, you're not a peacemaker. Now, some of us may be, we may be peacemakers, we have our actions are in alignment with what we think who we are and who we say we what we say we believe, but sometimes we're not. And one of the ways you want to know this is one of the ways to test this out is about your actions, just to ask someone who knows you. Say, would you say that I'm a peacemaker? Would you say by looking at my actions? Would you say by looking at the things I do? Would you look at the reactions that people have around me? Do you believe I'm a peacemaker? So that's one of the ways we can be known as we kind of start asking questions that lead us towards intimacy, asking questions of each other. Because we want to know, am I living the life that I want to live so that others by my actions can actually see Jesus? So no matter what we say, it's our actions that show the condition of our heart. And after you examine your actions, then the next thing is to examine your attitude. So what attitude did I have that led me toward these actions? So what is the attitude God wants me to have? Humility. A humble attitude. That's the attitude he wants me to have. He wants us to have a humility that comes from his wisdom. Meaning, I don't know it all, but I believe that God does. And because I don't know it all, guess what? I'm gonna give you the grace to not know it all either. And then we can have a relationship together because neither one of us know it all. Some of us are know-it-all, so (laughs) but we have to come to this position to be able to realize that you know what we just don't know everything. John talked about this last week, he talked about meekness, and basically what we're talking about here: here's the attitude of humility, here's the attitude of wisdom. You come before me. You come before me. That's the attitude here. You before me. Now, the source of most of our conflict is that we come before others. So as we you know, look at life, we look at the way that it's going, we judge it on how it's going to affect me. And so we place ourselves as the first filter in this, as how I'm going to be perceived or how this is going to impact me. But what we need to do is what James is saying here is it says, as humility would say, how does what I'm doing affect you? How does it affect you? source of most of our conflict, folks, is that we want to come first. We place ourselves before others. We are self-focused. I remember a phrase, I've used this, and we've talked about it in messages in the past that Tim Keller used uh, several, several years ago. He wrote a message, I think it was like in 1992. It's still a really popular phrase, though. And the phrase he has is that we have to practice the art of self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. I don't know about you, but that's hard to just forget myself and practice that art. And so we have to practice that. We have to be able to say, it's not about me, but I want it to be about you. So you before me. Imagine how much conflict we'd resolve if we just did that. You come before me. Oh, you did this to me. But you know what? I didn't. I know that you didn't mean this, or I know that... Uh, you had the best intention, so I'm going to say, I'm going to overlook that. So we have to come to this place where we say that I'm going to put others before myself. See, the world, our secular culture, operates out of a different wisdom than God would say he wants us to operate. And it's the wisdom of me first. Now, this verse is on your notes And so we're still going to leave this right here, but just James 4.1, at the end of everything we're talking about today, he says this, he says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. And what's that saying? From me wanting it to be my way first, instead of thinking about you first. That's where most of our conflict comes from. So now, how does that happen? How do I end up being a selfish person? Well, that's the wisdom of the world. And that's what James says... As we want to read on here, James 3 says this, but if you harbor bitter envy, and so I'll just stop there. Bitter envy, what does that mean? It means, I want what you have, and if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. That's bitter envy. I want what you have, and if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. And so I'm going to resist you. I'm going to resent you for what you have in some way. He says this, and selfish ambition. So selfish ambition just means this. I am the most important person in my life. I always have to take care of my needs first. The most important person in my life is me. I don't care who I have to step on. I don't care who I have to go over. I don't care who gets hurt along the way, but I'm going to make sure that I get my needs met first. That's selfish ambition. So if you harbor these things in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So here's a word, folks. Here's a word for all of us, for every follower of Jesus. Here's a word for you, a word for me. You may hear things in the world. You may hear things that are secular. You may hear things that are not sacred, And you may hear them, and you think, well, that makes sense. That seems to make sense. And, well, that seems fair, or that seems right. But then you have to bring it down to the filter, and the filter is, does it align with what God says? Does it align with what God says? And if it doesn't align with this, then James says, get this. It's worldly wisdom. It's a wisdom that leads to what he says next. Uh, actually, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Now, I know that some of you are, right now, you're thinking of culture right now. When I read that, you're thinking, well, that's exactly where we're living. And I would agree. Because when we follow secular wisdom this is where it's going to lead. We're going to have disorder. No one's going to be able to know the truth. No one's going to be able to know what is right. Everyone's going to call their way as the right way. And there's disorder and the the powerful win. The majority wins. And then when the majority wins, every evil practice will be exposed. We'll be able to see it. We'll be able to witness it. So, worldly wisdom is motivated by a selfishness that says, what I need, what I think, what I feel is more important than anything else. More important. Worldly wisdom is characterized by evil. It leads to the intoxication of the powerful and the violation of the innocent. The intoxication of the powerful and the violation of the innocent. Worldly wisdom causes disorder. It causes confusion. When there is no single source of truth, when there's no single standard of truth, where truth is defined by what we think or what we feel, we end up with disorder, and we end up with chaos. And you cannot have peace if that is your motivational life force, if that's your basis for how you're going to pursue peace in life. That's worldly wisdom. You cannot have peace when everyone wants to be their own god. You cannot have peace if no one is willing to acknowledge and submit to the one true and living God. So we examine our actions and we examine our attitudes. What attitudes do I have that are more self-centered, self-focused, that are leading me to actions that are causing me to cause disorder in my world and chaos and to hurt people and not to have peace. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. If I'm going to learn to be peacemaker, I must determine to follow God's way. I must determine myself I'm going to follow God's way. So James now describes the attitudes or the actions that you would have if you're going to follow God's way, and that would be you put him first, put him first, and then you love your neighbors, you love yourself. So then he says this, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, turn your notes over, and on the back side, I want to give you these six things that he says here that will be true of a peacemaker. And so this will go really quickly. We're going to run through this and just look at what James says. I just want to expound just a little bit on the things he says. First of all, he says that you will have a pure heart, that we would pursue clean hearts before God. If I'm going to be a peacemaker, I need to make sure that my heart is clean. So I want to go before God. I want to bend my knees before him. And I want to go say, God, would you search my heart? Search my heart, the psalmist says. Show me anything in me that is offensive to you, where I've turned away from you. And that takes humility, folks, to come before God and to ask him. He says, God, would you search my heart? Would you show me I've been fascinated thinking about David lately, and so I've been thinking about this as for a possible series coming up in the next year is that it says in 1 Samuel that David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, We know that David failed, but we also know that consistently David was a man who pursued God. He was a man of conviction. He was a man of confidence in what God said. So we want to search our hearts say, God, would you show me the condition of my heart? Because I want to have a pure heart before you. A couple of weeks, we're going to talk about confession. And then I would come before him and I would confess any area of my life that's not in alignment with what he says. Second is this. James says that peacemakers refuse to pour fuel on the fires of conflict. Refuse to pour fuel on the fires of conflict. They refuse to add fuel that escalates conflict around them. Would you disagree? That we live in an era right now where we have a lot of a lot of people that have a lot of extra fuel <laughs> and they see it as their job to just pile fuel everywhere and pour it out and to kind of uh, have an impact in a negative way they they egg things on in other words we live in that kind of culture we live in an age where people are not lovers of peace they are they're instead of you know being open as a lever of peace, they're poised, you know, with their fists up and they're thinking about you know the conflict that is coming their way, or they have their words loaded and or they have their fingers ready on some kind of keyboard or device in some way, and they're ready to go to war at the second's notice, ready to launch out, ready to pour fuel on any flame that comes their way that would look like an opportunity to raise the bar of conflict. They walk around loaded forbear, thinking like, just try to offend me. Just try to offend me. I'm ready. That's the way many people come at life. Let's try to do this. Instead, what we want is we want to turn our energy toward unity, and we say, I refuse to be someone who pours fuel on the fire. Third is this. James says that peacemakers consistently listen, or they listen considerately and courteously. They listen considerately and courteously. And so the way he says it is this. He says, it is gentle at all times, under the word all, and willing to yield to others. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. So that word gentle, that's where I got the idea of courteous or considerate. And so that's actually how it could have been translated. Some of your Bible's translations that are different than the ones that we use here would actually say considerate there. So it's translated that way. The phrase willing to yield to others could be translated as, it could be translated this way open to reason, or allows discussion. Open to reason, or allows discussion. And then that word all, what does that mean? You don't need to know Greek to know this. All, All. Okay. All means all. That's all all means, right? It's everything at all times that we're called to do this. So we combine these thoughts, and what you get from these thoughts is peacemakers are considerate and open to reason. They are courteous and willing to listen. Our world needs more people like this. And we are to do it at all times. So a peacemaker is someone who regularly knows how to use this phrase. And I've seen this phrase be able to diffuse more conflict than any other phrase I've ever used. And here's the phrase. Of course, I could be wrong. Of course, I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know everything. So I'm open to reason. I'm open to talk. I'm open to listening to your viewpoint, what you have to say. And we are to do that at all times. God's way produces a heart that's considerate and respectful, that says to those who disagree with them, great, you disagree with me. So can we sit down and talk? Can we have a conversation? I'd love to hear your point of view. Help me see things from your perspective, because I want to know how you got to the position that you actually have. And to be open to reason doesn't mean that I'm open-minded. So for those of you who are thinking that I'm saying that we throw out the Bible here in order just to be accepting, I'm not saying that. It's not, we're, it's not open-minded. We're not willing to accept any true statement that's made. But it means that first, I'm not going to aggravate my relationship by being stubborn. By just being stubborn and saying, I have my way and I'm not willing to listen to what you have to say. I was thinking about this, how do you know if you're listening? How do you know if you're a listener? You're not talking. Isn't that deep? Aren't you glad you came to church today? That's how you know. You're not talking. Ah, this is such a struggle for me right now. I don't know what's going on in my heart and my soul and uh, just what's happening inside of me, but I'm finding that uh, it's hard right now for me. And, and, you know, I just got to be with my family for a week. And so when you, I, when you get out of your normal environment and you go to be with your family for a week, they're quick to point out the ways that you're messing up, okay? <laughs> so just so you know that, especially when you have adult kids, they're even more quick to do that. And so I was called many times on this, uh, on butting in. And I'm like, really? but I have something important to say. That's not butting in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, So here's what I, here's what I would want to learn to do. Instead of making statements, I want to learn to ask clarifying questions. Ask clarifying questions so that I can really get to the heart of what someone's actually saying or feeling. Uh, and when I'm with them, and I'm actually wanting to listen in some way. So here's the pacemakers. Peacemakers (laughs) value... I hope I never have a pacemaker, but they do. They value the relationship over the debate. They value the relationship over their position. They value the relationship over whether or not they're right or the other person's wrong. And this is so relevant in our culture right now. Peacemakers let other people say their peace. I'm just telling you, what's all I found to be true. If I allow someone the opportunity and the respect and the courtesy and the consideration to say their peace, and I ask careful, clarifying questions to make sure I fully heard it, that resolves more conflict than any other thing. Just being allowing someone to say their peace and then listen to them in some way. Number four, James says that peacemakers forgive lavishly and generously. They forgive lavishly and generously. Now, we talked about this a lot a couple of weeks ago about forgiveness, so I'm not going to cover much of this. I'll just say that what we talked about that day is peacemakers remember how much they've been forgiven. They remember how much that they've received from God in the area of forgiveness, and so they're willing to give that to others. Peacemakers remember how much mercy they've received, and then they're willing to extend that same mercy to others. Peacemakers remember how much they want others to give them the benefit of the doubt, how much they want others to listen to them to say their peace, and then they give that same thing to others. Peacemakers realize that everyone's in process. I just think that would set so many of us free. You don't have to nail someone down for everything they say or think at the moment. They're just in process. They're just thinking it through. And maybe they're using you as a sounding board as they do that. And so when we are with others, we need to, instead of respond with anger at their position, we need to respond with patience for their process. Patience for their process. Billy Graham's (laughs) wife, Ruth Graham Bell, has these words on her tombstone. Here's the words on her tombstone. End of construction, thanks for your patience. That's true for so many of us. End of construction. Thanks for patience. Can you imagine if we lived like that? If we gave everyone the opportunity to be in process, everyone the opportunity to know that they're just working their way through this. And maybe we get to be part of helping them work through that. Number five, peacemakers treat others fairly and consistently. So it says there, you know, fairly and consistently, and it says this, it shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. So the words there could have been translated without prejudice, Uh, without pretending. So that's what a peacemaker does. So peacemakers don't show favoritism to those who they might benefit from, and they don't wear a mask pretending to be someone they're not by covering up who they really are. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're the same wherever you go. So no matter who you're with, that you're the same and that you show no partiality and that you don't wear a mask. We're there. And number six, Peacemakers plant seeds of peace by expressing empathy. Expressing empathy. I know empathy is a total buzzword right now, and everybody uses empathy. And just by using the word empathy, you're like in the club, right? And so I, I know that that, and know that we can get a little bit jaded by how much we hear about that. But I just need you to know that empathy is one of the number one relational tools that God has given us. The number one relational tool that God has given us is the ability to have empathy with others. It says this, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvest of righteousness, harvest of righteousness. So what peacemakers realize is this, I don't have to take care of these things today. So what I'm doing right now is I'm planting seeds for the next season. I'm planting seeds that will someday grow into a fruit of righteousness. I don't have to win an argument today. What I need to do today is exercise what we talked about, and then I need to show empathy towards a person so that they feel that I've heard them. They think that I've heard them. They look to me as someone who cares. So we may not alter the actions and attitudes of people today. That's what we need to understand. But what we're called to do is plant seeds for tomorrow. That someday there will be a seed that is grown because of the seeds, a fruit that's grown because of the seeds we've planted. See, we're all doing this. We're all planting seeds of some kind, okay? So we need to know that. So you're planting seeds of anger or you're planting seeds of peace. You're planting seeds of trust. or You're planting seeds of distrust. You're planting seeds of love or hatred. You're planting seeds of harmony or discord. We're all planting seeds in every kind of relationship we have, whether it's at work, in our neighborhood, in our social media posts. We're planting seeds every day of our lives. And one of the seeds I believe is so important for us to plant is the seed of empathy. Now, what is empathy? Well, empathy is the ability to hear what someone says, Reflect back to them, the way that Brene Brown would uh, describe it, define it, reflect back to them the bigness of what they've told you, and then affirm that. Affirm that with them. So here's what people want to know people want to know they matter, people want to know they're seen. People want to know that they're known. People want to know that they're not alone. People want to know that they belong. And one of the best ways of showing people that they belong is by expressing the gift of empathy. Empathy says, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see how big this is. I see how much you hurt. I see how much you need. I see your dreams. I see your desires. I see your disappointments. I see your discouragements. I see your broken dreams. I see your pain. I see your frustration. And you can bring peace into almost any environment when you're willing to see someone else and bring empathy into the relationship. So, those are the six keys that James lists there for how we can live underneath biblical or godly wisdom. So, I want to think about this as we close. Being a peacemaker is important because it produces a fruit of righteousness. Because when you're a peacemaker, People are drawn to you. People are drawn to you. And when they're drawn to you because of your relationship with Jesus, they're drawn to an eternal soul-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's far more important than winning every debate. That's far more important than make sure you get your point across in some way. We go back and say, when love is shown, God is seen, and lives or people are changed. And so as peacemakers, we are Christ ambassadors, and we're planting seeds so others can see and know the peace of God. They can have peace with God. They can know the peace of God, and then they can become people who bring the peace of God in relationship with others so that they can be peace all around us. So how do we do this? How do we do this? It's not about a lot to do, even though it may have sounded like it right there. It's all about me relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to end with this verse from Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit, notice that, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And here's the list of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And notice peace is there. Now, when we talk about fruit, I can't grow fruit. I can't do the fruit part. I can only walk with God. That's my part. And as I walk with him, he produces the fruit. Holy Spirit does this work in me. So it goes all the way back to pursuing a clean heart before him. That I want to make sure that my heart's clean before him. I want to be walking with him in humility. And as I walk with him in humility, then he grows this fruit in me, the fruit of peace. And I can bring peace into my world. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much that you brought us here and that you've spoken to us today. We thank you for this opportunity to we've had to hear from you. And Lord, I I, I know that uh, this can be a hard subject and because there's so much volatility around us and uh, I'm not saying today that we should, you know, cave in or we should give up. What I'm saying is, is that we need to think about how we respond and there's ways to engage that just won't pour fuel in the fires around us but they will actually lower the temperature around us when we're able to respond with consideration and gentleness when we're able to listen and not speak first but seek to be uh, not seek to under, to be understood first but seek to understand first and that we would just uh, make that one of our goals god and god help us to be people who know how to see others and where they are and then empathize in that place we thank you jesus And I'm going to ask you if you would. I'm going to put this on the screens right now. If you'd just read this out loud with me. This is the prayer of St. Francis. It's a very famous prayer. And I'm going to end with this. Read this with me, please. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Master, Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.